cr101radio.com, podcasts, and more. Welcome back to another episode of Preschool Pioneers. I am your host, Jeremy Walker. You can find our website at cr101radio.com forward slash preschool pioneers for more episodes of this podcast and for links to subscribe. So let's go ahead and get ourselves started with this episode called V is for Violence, How Humanistic Education cultivates violence in children and how to stop it well welcome back i'm glad to be back behind the microphone again quite a bit has happened in the last couple of weeks and some of that we can share uh, today and some we'll share in future podcast episodes as well but we are now happily in october and we are in southwest florida and if you've been following the news recently over the last couple of weeks, we had Hurricane Ian who came through and tore through the southwest Florida area. Quite a bit of surprise, even for those people like myself who are lifelong Floridians, people who have been born and raised in Florida. Hurricanes have been absolutely nothing new to me and my experiences. However, Ian was quite different and uh, mostly because how i guess the differences between an earthquake and a tsunami that was the difference between a hurricane and what ian was so it wasn't just a hurricane it was a hurricane that brought a tidal wave a absolute destructive tidal wave that no one in southwest florida was ready for not even a little bit so anyways, we'll talk more about that later, but we survived here in southwest Florida, and uh, not everybody was as fortunate, and a lot of heartbreak, a lot of loss, even uh, not just property, but many, many, many lives, a tragedy here in Florida. But we are back behind the microphone and ready to move forward here. We're going to be discussing violence, and I want to talk about a few things, primarily starting with why Christians should become teachers. And Christians do need to become teachers because violence is a moral subject. And violence is cultivated by humanists, and it is not cultivated by Christians. It is not a godly thing to be a violent, out-of-control person, nor to be violent towards others. So let me give you some points about how humanism cultivates violence in children. First of all, by the removal of godly standards and godly morality. That's always the beginning. You got another, which is removing the concept of authority, at least godly authority as well. Removing discipline from children, letting them grow as they see fit to be natural born, I guess as they call it, not to be restrained. Another one is to promote or encourage Selfishness, that's a big one. They encourage rebellion in, in to authorities and to other people, but not to all authorities. But just once again, godly authorities or godly structured authorities. 
You got the encouragement of tempers, the promotion of drugs and drug use and drug dependency in particular. That's a very big one. Statum is very much so taught and encourages violence. Another one is violence through peer pressure. And last but not least, violence is encouraged through forms and various forms of activisms. And we've seen that over the last couple of years, people burning down cities and more. But let's go ahead and jump to where I want to start with a little video that I watched. It was of a dog, actually, a very small dog, actually. And it was on social media. And this little dog had owners. It was a woman who was the owner of the, the little dog. And a man was sitting next to her. And the problem was is that the dog had a problem. And he had been prone to attacking others. Uh, violence. So using his teeth. Tearing into people. And leaving marks and scars. And I remember growing up. Uh, we were around pets all the time. Animals all the time. And I recall one dog in particular who was had been known to harm people. And a little girl got too close and the dog mauled her face. And, uh, of course, the, the owner almost looked at the child as the instigator for getting too close. And uh, wasn't upset at their pet because, of course, the pet was kind of like their family. And was almost uh, critical of the child. You must have done something to make that animal attack you. And if you didn't know, this is a big part of how people view humanity through these lenses as well, especially our modern day people. They will allow violence and encourage it because after all, you did something, you did something to incite it. You did something to anger them. So, yes, they acted violently. Yes, they hurt somebody, but it was okay. It was okay because someone did something first. In child care, and we're talking about being teachers and parenting and the subject matter of raising children and the concept of violence. And I can't tell you how often it happens. You talk to a parent about children and especially child care, and it never fails if their child is involved and their child is the aggressor. The question will always be, well, what did the other child do? And then you'll sit down and be in front of the child in the office, and the first question they ask, what did the other child do? What did they do to you? Oh, they did such and such. Well, okay, well, that makes sense. Oh, I teach my children that if somebody bothers them, then they're supposed to stand their ground, and they're supposed to fight. See, we, we propagate violence in children through these, through these things, giving excuses for violent behavior. And I started with the, the commentary about the dog because we all understand, especially when I was growing up, that dogs and animals had to be trained. Well, there's no real difference here between, in some ways, behavior training in animals and or in children. They're both very young. and In fact, with children don't have the reasoning capacities of an adult. And animals uh, don't and will never have the reasoning capacities of a human. But they do have a large degree of ability to understand. And I would say in a lot of ways, animals are so much faster at picking up on the reasoning abilities versus adults and uh, children. Because animals, within a matter of months or maybe even a year, uh, can have reasoning capabilities that are far superior to an infant. And uh, infants, of course, can take years for them to get you know, two, three years old before they really get 
the reasoning capacities we're talking about here that can be long-lasting. However, giving excuses to violent behavior is never okay. And to get back to the story of the little dog, so the man sits down next to the woman who has the dog, and the dog immediately, immediately as he gets close to him, the dog immediately bites him savagely on the hand, just tears right into his skin. A little dog had a harness, and so the man reaches over, grabs the dog's harness that was around his back, and it was a very small dog, and picks the dog up and immediately puts the dog on the ground. Doesn't slam the dog, but very quickly and with force puts the dog down and holds the dog down. And, of course, the dog very quickly starts to struggle, tries to get up, tries to bite. He's using both hands now to hold the dog down so he can't get to him and can't hurt him. And he stops. He says, well, you see what happened. He says the dog acted violently, and now there was a reaction to what happened. He said, I had to show the dog, and he's trying to train the woman about the dog. He says, I had to show the dog that this is unacceptable, and I am not going to allow it to take place. And there are consequences. In this case, the consequence was, you are going to be held down, and you're not getting up, and you're not moving. And sure enough, the little dog was held down by the man, and you can see the, the, the little dog's eyes. He's kind of perplexed. And the man even says he's trying to figure out what's going on. The animal is. And he then starts talking to the woman and says, you know, I could let him up now because I've clearly shown that I can make, I can stop him. You know, like if it's a tit-for-tat battle between two people, which one is superior? I've clearly shown that I've done that. He says, but that's not the point. The point is to then get the animal to understand that this is unacceptable behavior, not just this one time, but it's unacceptable to ever happen again. And that takes consistent consistency. And so he says, I have to hold the, this animal down until I get the, to the point where the animal understands that he can't get up, he can't move, nothing's going to take place until I'm ready for him to get up. In other words... You can't harm people, you can't hurt people without consequence, and you have to listen. And part of that is going to start with you're not hurting people. You're not biting people. You're not going to maul people. And he says to the woman, he says, if I let him up now, I'm actually going to damage his psyche. In other words, mess up how the dog perceives the world, mess up how the dog sees things. You know, once again, if you just pick the little doggy up and he sees this as a lost battle as it were, instead of a changed behavioral characteristic. Then the dog might try next time to fight harder. Because, of course, the battle is not once. It's a temporary, temporary loss for the animal. He says, I can't let the dog up. He says, I must show the dog that this is unacceptable and I am in charge. So he's clearly dealing with the concept of authority and an animal An animal is underneath the man's authority or the woman's authority or the owner's authority. But an animal cannot harm people. It must listen, and that is putting it into subjection, into its proper role. Now, humanists, of course, they don't believe in such things. Humanists don't teach such things. In fact, animal cruelty, it's easier to get away with hurting a person than it is for hurting an animal. You will go to jail much quicker in many ways, and probably in there longer, for harming animals than you would a person. Uh, Not only do people have a disturbing, messed-up viewpoint, 
of where animals fit in reality, in, in, in God's order, versus where people are at. We're nowhere even close to being on the same level. But people don't seem to, to get that. But the animal has to find out that man is in charge. And that's what he was basically saying, that man has authority, animal must listen. Animal has restrictions. Now, why is it, and the humanists, they can't do this because they get rid of godly standards, they get rid of authorities, they get rid of discipline, as we talked about in our first couple points, and they don't do this with just animals, but they do it most certainly with children. And so if you get rid of all those things, that means that the man, in the case with the dog, has no way of saying if the dog attacks a person or you know, licks the person, there's no difference in that behavior. In other words, it's not a good dog, it's not a bad dog, it's just a dog being a dog. It's just a dog being a dog. And people view this in the same way with children. It's just a child being a child. It's not good behavior. It's not bad behavior. It's just a child being a child. In other words, you should not view people, uh, adult or child alike, or animal for that matter, on any level besides um, having, you know, respectability based on what they are. They have inherent nobility, the inherent noble dog, the inherent noble-hearted child, the inherent noble man or woman. But we don't look at their actions and say, well, this is a good dog based on its actions or a bad dog based on its actions. In fact, you're not even supposed to say the word bad anymore in the concept of when dealing with children and especially even with animals. But see, damaging the psyche is an important point because godly standards have to be established. Authorities, like the man versus the, the dog, and the adult versus the child. See, they get rid of this concept, and therefore the parent has no authority to teach that the child must obey them. The teacher has no authority to say that you must obey me. Kind of like the dog, you must obey me, dog. And so they get rid of those things. And in the case of the dog, if you leave the dog to itself and you don't teach it its standards, it becomes feral. Animals will harm, maim, and kill if they are not restrained. See, if you don't stop, as the man said, if you damage their psyche, if you make them think that one is acceptable, or two, or two, you just lost a battle of equals, not authority. One person that has the rights to restrain you by force if necessary. But just a battle of equals. Then what's going to take place is next time they're going to go harder. They're going to try to hurt more. And this definitely happens when you watch children. When parents do not view themselves as authorities. And they're only saying no based on the level and concept of being equals. The child each time becomes much more violent. Every time, each encounter becomes more vicious. Each encounter becomes more dangerous because the child is being taught that they're in a battle of wills with equals, not with a person who has the right to tell me what to do and the permission to coerce me into obedience like the man with the dog. But if you don't have that, then the child perpetually is angry and upset because why? Somebody is stepping on their independence. 
No one has the right to tell me no. No one has the right to stop me. No one has the right to coerce me. I am God. And the dog, as the man said, if I let him up, he is going to get the idea in his head that next time he's going to maybe, instead of biting my hand, he's going to go for the face or the jugular instead. But the man, he held down the dog, and eventually the dog kind of got the concept. You could see the dog's eyes. He stopped struggling. He stopped trying to get up. And the man continued to talk, and then he started talking in a more soothing tone, petting the dog. And so it wasn't just a battle of domination, but it was a concept of an authority figure having to stop those underneath their authority from doing something that was wrong. In other words, there is a godly standard, there are authorities, and that authority has the responsibility to discipline those underneath them. And discipline primarily is not a form of uh, consequence or punishment, but is a form of training. And that's what the man was doing to the dog. He was training the dog to understand what the standards were. He was training the dog to see the authorities as God has laid them out. Christian teachers, Christian parents, that's our job. Our job is to teach godly standards. Our job is to acknowledge godly authorities. Our job is to have and understand our jobs are to discipline. And that doesn't mean just all the negative stuff, but primarily it's all the positive stuff. Because as I said, the man began to pet the dog, talk to the dog, console the dog, and eventually the dog tried to get up a little bit. He said, no, 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 stay right here. And he had the dog stay there longer. And then he tried to get a little longer. And each time the dog stopped uh, trying to get up, stopped trying to fight. And eventually he allowed the dog to get up after the dog was nice and calm for a long time. And then he let him get him up, talked about he's a good boy, don't bite, but that was a good job. The positives and the negative consequences that are there. See, when you encourage rebellion or tempers in children or animals, then you are promoting the concept of violence. In the case of the animal, the rebellion against their position, rebellion against man's uh, position over them and harming them instead of obeying them. Children for the same thing. Rebellion to those authorities, promoting it and encouraging that concept is going to promote uh, violence towards authorities. Now, I know that people will say, well, children aren't violent. That's not normal. Yes, it is normal. When you do not teach these concepts, then you are going to face what the natural child is. When you are not going to teach the godly standards, when you're not going to be the authority, when you're not going to uh, restrain children, to limit them, to guide them, then you are promoting rebellion. And rebellion just gets worse and worse and worse. I've seen so many parents in my office who are dealing with a child who's going through something. And each time I have to talk to them, they just go, I just don't know what is happening. I just don't know what the problem is. And, of course, we have to politely try to tell them that you have to have a standard. They have to know that there's limitations. They have to know that somebody's in charge. We have to teach them that they have to have self-control. They can't be selfish and get everything that they want. They can't be rebellious to teachers. They can't be rebellious to parents, if they do have a temper and get upset quickly, we have to teach the child to what we call it, the fancy term, 
to self-regulate. Basic, basically just means to calm down. Be able to calm down. Kind of like the dog. Slowly teaching the dog not to be quick in his anger, in his temper, in his violence that he's prone to. And the same goes for children. Exact same concept. And when you don't do these things, I thought the man made a great point. You damage their psyche. You damage the way they see the world. The way that the child looks at the world. The way they view their position in the world, at the home, in the school. What a person is and is not allowed to do. As an example of this, we've mentioned the COVID baby concept before. And we had a child come into our school who had never been in child care before because spent over two years uh, alone with their parent. And so now the child was about two and a half. And it was obvious the child had never been taught these concepts. And was probably the closest that I would consider a child to be feral. If you can, if you can consider a child feral, where they're out of control and there's nothing you can do. There's no reasoning with them. On the floor, screaming. If you come near them, they try to maul you. And the whole thing was, you can't tell me anything. You can't tell me, no, you can't tell me to do anything. There was no concept of restraining that temper. There was no concept of not harming somebody if you felt angered. That was never seen as a standard which could not be crossed. And I remember talking to this person, because only after like a couple, like an hour or two, and all this took place. And I had to call the parent and, and have them pick up because we could not stop the child. There was nothing we could do for the child at all in our setting. And the parent just said, well, can't you just, can't you just let her do what she wants? Can't you just let her go? Can't you just let her go and just not tell her anything? And I knew at that point what I was dealing with was a person who had destroyed their child's psych- uh, psyche. They destroyed their child's view of the world. They, instead of being a good parent, have been a bad parent. And we should not have any problems saying this about not only other people, but viewing ourselves in this light. Are we good parents or are we not good parents? Are we good teachers or not good teachers? Because where does all this stuff go? I mentioned the promotion of drug dependency. That is exactly what happens when bad parenting... And out-of-control children meet into the state-controlled government schools and the state-controlled medical community, the state-controlled child psychologists and child care professionals. What do they do? Because they all agree with this stuff. There's no standards. There's no authorities. There's no discipline. Selfishness is promoted. Rebellion is okay. Tempers are okay. What do they say? Well, how are we going to get the child into control? Because we've wasted our time. What are we going to do now? Well, you need drugs. Drugs! Put your child on low-dose antiphetamines for the rest of their lives and just drug them out of their brains. That is their solution. I'm not kidding. Drugs. Drugging your child is akin to drug abuse. Not to drug abuse, but it is drug abuse. But it is akin to misconduct of a parent. Child abuse. If you were giving your child drugs... Without the prescription of a medical professional, you could go to jail and lose your kid. But if you have somebody give you a prescription for it, well, now it's okay to give your kid drugs. People have lost their minds, absolutely lost their minds, because why? 
They promote violence in children because of all these concepts. The child has to be violent. They know eventually the child has to be restrained. They have to be restrained eventually. But how are they going to do it? Well, chemicals. Chemical drugging of the child is their solution. It's reprehensible and it's evil. No parent and no teacher should ever accept this as the concept, the concept they should back up. They need to return to godly standards. See, Proverbs 19.18 gives us a warning about these concepts. It says, quote, Chasten thy son while there is hope, and let thy soul not spare for his crying. Unquote. Chasten your child, discipline your child, train your child. While there is hope, because there is a time when you've gone too far and nothing you can do is going to bring that child back. You have a small window, teacher. You have a small window, parent, to do your job right, to teach godly standards and authorities. Discipline the child. Teach him not to be selfish. Teach him not to be rebellious. Controlling their temper. And drugs is never an option. So if you're going to do your job, you're going to have to have godly standards. And that's why Christians definitely need to become teachers. Well, if you're interested in learning how you can do that, we do have a website. We have an apprenticeship program. It is called the GCS Apprenticeship Program. Find it at gcsapprenticeship.com for more information on how we can help you learn how to become a Christian teacher and how to run a Christian school to maybe make a difference in your community. I hope this has given you something to think about, the why Christians are important, and needed. Thank you for joining me, and God bless.